Okay, picture the scene, Arthur. I'm just inside the left touchline, maybe about 30 yards from goal. And James, our swashbuckling centre midfielder, fizzes the ball into me. And the pressure's on. We're 2-1 down to Elstree under 10B team in the Berkshire Schools Cup. So what do I do? Well, I take the ball down on the outside of my foot. I swivel past my man. Another touch sets me free of the defender and I spot the goalie several yards off his line. I chop down on the ball, sending the ball looping over his sprawling dive into the top corner. And I peel away to be remembered as the boy who scored a worldie in the school's cup preliminary round. What do you think? Ben, that's a wonderful story. Are you, are you still remembered as the boy who scored a worldie? I don't know by how many people, but certainly my mum remembers it. I think she bought me a book actually to celebrate. I'm very proud of 10-year-old Ben, I must say. I've, I've never scored a worldie in my career. <laughs> well, we can't all score worldies, Arthur. You should know that. Um, but certainly the people we're going to talk about today are known for it. They're not known for their tap-ins, are they? Not at all. They're, they're known for not just scoring potentially one iconic goal. I think they're known more for a collection of wonderful goals throughout their career. Maybe, maybe they score rarely, but when they do score, it's a, it's a top corner howitzer, perhaps a hitting the bar and in, a slaloming run through the entire opposition, a, an array of goals, but they, they dazzle when they score. They certainly do. Yes, welcome to this new podcast. Uh, it's called The Eleven. Um, each week, we're going to look at some fantasy-themed 11s uh, and throw in a bit of wit and nostalgia for good measure. I'd like to put myself forward as someone who's known for scoring a worldie, but certainly this 11 is going to put me to shame. Right, so we've decided that we'll pick a particular formation each week to suit our 11. For this week, a 4-2-3-1 formation. Quite an attacking formation, giving some limelight to the players you get in those goal-scoring positions. And so, Ben, are you going to give us a goalkeeper? Yes, starting with the goalkeeper in this 11. Um, it's a difficult role, this, Arthur, that you've given me, because quite naturally being the the furthest back on the pitch goalkeepers aren't known for scoring many goals at all are they never mind worldies and I think there are several great examples of goalkeepers going up for corners and the like Mark Poom scoring an incredible header for Derby County um, that I saw online but my my perhaps obvious pick for the worldie 11 in goal is Jose Luis Chilever a player you've heard of yeah, absolutely. He's a Peruvian goalkeeper. He was Paraguayan, actually. Paraguayan, sorry. Easy to get those two countries confused. Um, but I, I most remember him from playing in the 98 World Cup. Um, I used to have this VHS of, uh, of all the goals, and it just surprised me to see, uh, to see a goalie up there scoring. He obviously used to take free kicks and penalties for his national team and also his club side. Uh, in fact, he scored 54 goals during his career. Um, and in 1999, he was the first ever goalkeeper to score a hat-trick. Um, he did so for Velez Sarsfield versus Ferro Kirill Uste. Um, I guess the difficulty from the point of view of a free-kick-taking goalkeeper is that, I mean, if he misses and he just puts it in the hands of the goalkeeper, I'd love to see some stats on how many 
goals have been conceded by Schiller as a result of him taking free kicks. It is crazy, isn't it? And if I were a manager, I don't know about you, I'd feel very, very, very nervous about sending my goalkeeper that far up the field. I know there was some talk recently about Edison taking penalties for Man City. Um, I think a penalty perhaps is a different, different situation because the chances of you scoring a penalty are vastly superior to you scoring a free kick. So mm. I think the risk reward is greater with the penalty taker, especially if, if Edison's confident that he's good enough. Yeah, I, I see your point there. But certainly Jose Luis Silver sort of set the precedent for goal scoring goalkeepers. Um, and therefore I felt he deserved a place in R11. So uh, the Paraguayan uh, is the first into our team. Okay, moving on to left back. When people think of worldy scoring left backs, I think they find it hard to look beyond Roberto Carlos, um, mm. who was the iconic scorer of the 40-yard free kick against France in 97, where, frankly, the ball seemed to defy all physics. In, he, he was uh, in... an incredible, incredible specimen. I, I remember I actually saw Real Madrid once um, around that time, and in the flesh... His thighs were just enormous. It was incredible. <laughs> good, good old Roberto Carlos's thighs. Yeah. Man, we could do a um, whole episode on people's big thighs. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd rather avoid that. <laughs> um, I, I had some difficulty with this because you, you, can't, you can't just be a brilliant player. You have to no. you have to define yourself by your free kicks. And I think Roberto Carlos is a player who perhaps would make it into many people's all-time 11 at left back. True, so true. I wanted to look beyond the obvious, and I've decided that I'm going to go with John Arna Risa. Yes. Release the Kraken. Release the Kraken. Some iconic commentary from, from our American cousins. He was uh, a stunning player. He was a player who whose game, I think, was defined by those probing runs and those unbelievably powerful shots. He hit the ball with such power that the goalkeeper rarely had a chance. Yeah, and he, he popped up at key moments as well, didn't he? I remember score, him scoring one of his um, worldies in a cup final. Um, I think so. And one thing that stuck with me to, to, to display the power of his shots was the fact that in a, in a 2006 FA Cup match with Man United, he actually broke Alan Smith's leg by, by uh, Alan Smith having the temerity to try and block one of his shots. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and the poor man broke his leg. I think his defending was, was reasonably good, but... It was he, reasonably good. Very, very good. He makes my, my world the 11. Actually, it wasn't a particularly difficult decision once I'd ruled Roberto Carlos out of the frame. Oh, man. And, I think that's that's a, a real shun to all those left backs who've, <laughs> who were desperate to get on the list, Arthur. <laughs> that's very true. But I think it's a fair shun. Okay. Well, I think Maynor Figueroa will be disappointed, but there we go. <laughs> Moving to centre-back, and um, I've actually moved away from, from English football again for this one, and I've picked a French sensation, uh, most known for his time at Roma, uh, Philippe Mexes, an absolutely wonderful centre half, Philippe Mexes, but perhaps best known for his propensity to score an overhead kick or a scissor kick. Um, not only did he do it once um, in the Champions League against Anderlecht, 
um, which was an incredible goal. Um, it was a free kick that came into him. He was standing on the edge of the box, took it on his chest, back to goal, and he hit the most audacious overhead kick, which looped over the goalkeeper into the top corner. It's, it's well worth a look on YouTube, that one. Not only did he do that, but he then repeated the same feat um, a matter of years later in the Milan derby of all occasions, proving it was no fluke. This time, um, a scissor kick from a corner, but arguably an even better goal from, from further out. Philippe Mexes has to be in this 11 for me. I completely agree with you. I think he's a, he's a player whose ability to strike a volley or a half volley was just unusual for a, for a centre-back. And mm. I think it was, always, it was always these incredible training ground routines from corners. So he was always lurking. He was a lurker on the edge of the box. Yeah. And he was a player, I think, who, who was merited for his ability by, by playing in, in a very decent French side. Um, it's a shame we never got to see Mex Esser in the Premier League, but um, I'm sure he will go down as um, one of the great sort of Serie A defenders or, or at least most iconic defenders of the noughties. He seems very much like the Ibrahimovic of the defence. He's got the similar top knot kind of. He's look. got long hair, is what you're saying. He's got he's got long hair, and he can strike a ball. He can yeah. strike a ball. So in that sense, they're almost identical. <laughs> they are. He's the blonde Ibrahimovic. <laughs> <laughs> sketchy, Arthur. Sketchy. He's going to be partnering Maxess in this eleven. I wanted somebody who who can strike a ball, obviously, and is someone who's known for some brilliant free kick taking. I know we've got Schiller there as a potential free kick taker, but I think we want more options here. It's, we do. I, I think the danger of Schiller taking free kicks is, is clear for all to see. So I decided that I would go for Sinisa Mihailovic. Who oh, is, wonderful shout. He's considered by many to be possibly the best free kick taker of all time. Obviously the current Bologna manager, he, he played most of his career in in Italy with, with Roma, Sampdoria, even Sven's Lazio um, mm. and, and Inter. So I think, as we know, it's not easy to decide who's going to take free kicks in this team because, frankly, anyone who can strike a ball sweetly enough to score a worldie can probably take a brilliant free kick. And Sinisha Mihailovic was very much free kick-taking juggernaut of Syria and also the Yugoslavia national side. So for me, that's, that's a no-brainer at centre-back. He's different to Mexes in the sense that he's not scoring his worldies typically from open play. And so we've got a bit of variety there in our team, which I think is key. I like it. I like it. And I think the, the threat going forwards of that centre-back partnership, Mexes and Mihailovic, I mean, my oh my. I think it's the archetypal ball-playing centre-back partnership. It really is. And, and I guess in the same way that Mexes is a lot like Ibrahimovic because he has long hair, Sinisa Mihailovic is a lot like Ed Miliband because he has short hair. This is very true. Gosh, these parallels are, mm. are incomparable. <laughs> right back. Now, I'll tell you what, Arthur, this was a struggle. The amount of right backs that score worldies is, is an incredibly small number. So I have had a lot of trouble trying to find someone um, to fill this role adequately. But I believe I have. Um, and we're harking back to the sort of 90s and noughties Chelsea side um, that I kind of grew up watching, really, with the likes of Zola and Tori Andre Flo. 
But at right back, or sometimes playing in centre midfield, because he was the king of versatility, was Dan Petrescu. Oh, the Romanian magician. It, absolutely. It makes you think of that dyed blonde hair in the 98 World Cup, doesn't it, Dan Petrescu? Um, I think he is, to be honest, one of the original attacking fullbacks. And I know that's hugely disputable. Um, I'm sure someone will, will contact us uh, at... 11 pod and tell me that there was a Bolivian right back in the 1920s who actually did it way before Dan Petrescu but his versatility really came into its own in a Chelsea shirt um, and he was able to step up out of defence into midfield um, and have the odd long range effort. I think probably the best strike that I've seen of Dan Petrescu's which might be worth checking out is in 1999 he scored a, a thunderbolt against Wimbledon when they were a Premier League side. Um, but what I think I quite like about the idea of having Petrescu in there is that it just gives that team a bit of, a bit of versatility. He can step into midfield and make it a three at the back. I, I think he'd be a good fit. And you're all about the chemistry, I noted, uh, for, this, for this team. as key for you, is it? Well, obviously, this side are going to take on a full league campaign after this podcast, aren't they, Arthur? So we need to think about these things. It's, go- it's very much going to be a side that doesn't, doesn't necessarily keep many clean sheets, but outscores their opposition in trumps. Yes, and has a Romanian and a Paraguayan, which is quite rare these days to see in a, in a side. Very true. I think Dan Petrescu is a very, very good shout for our, our right back. I have to say, in my research, I, I similarly struggled, and I was, I was tempted by Cuca Martina simply because... <laughs> He, yeah. he, scored, he scored on his debut a 35 or 40-yard screamer and then was never seen again. I know, and Cuco Martino was just a bit of a funny one, wasn't he? Because he was, by all accounts, pretty average. Um, but that one strike was absolutely sensational. I think another one, he wasn't really a right-back, more of a left-back, who, who could go into that category, was Eric Edmund, who scored an absolute the- wonder goal for Tottenham and then sort of blurred away into insignificance it's enough to write your name in folklore if you score one good goal yeah and so Kuko, i know we said that one of the categories was that they don't just score one good one but frankly when it's your only goal and you're pretty much your only game yeah it's hard it's hard to write off but i think dan petrescu very very good shout in our in our right back position So without further ado, I think it's time for a, a brief interlude where ben, Half time. <laughs> very good. <laughs> where ben has prepared a, a little deep dig into what it is to truly score a worldie. And just before we reach that section, a reminder that you can get in touch with us via Twitter at 11pod. That's the word 11, not the number. That's and our new strap line, by the way. And we'd be delighted to, to, to hear from you, whether you agree or wholeheartedly disagree with our selections. It's always good to hear from you. So please do get in touch. Then on to you. Yes. Um, thank you, Arthur. I mean, I have been digging a little bit deeper into what a worldie really is. Um, it's an exceptional goal, something that's unprecedented and unbelievable in some way. Um, but I think the challenge that I've always found is, particularly when Match of the Day or Sky, they'll pull together 
their clips of the best goals of the season. I, I don't know about you, but I find it very hard to judge which is the best goal because really they're all exceptional. They all count for one goal in the match. And it's very difficult to, to compare apples with apples in that situation because there are so many different types of worldie. So I thought to settle this once and for all, I would let you, Arthur, be the ultimate decision maker on the best type of goal. So I've created a, a little bit of a knockout competition here. Um, I've got eight different types of world-class goal and we're going to whittle it down to one um, and, and through means of elimination work out what the best worldie really looks like. Wonderful. I think I'm not your target audience for this because I'm notoriously indecisive when it comes to these decisions, but I like the sound of this knockout. Well, we did talk about trying to keep the podcast sort of about half an hour in length. So I guess that gives you a, about 10 seconds on each. Perfect. So um, quarterfinal one, Arthur, we've got the overhead kick. And if you want an example of this, Benito Carboni versus Newcastle is one that springs to mind. And that takes on the diving header. And when I think diving headers, I think Rob Hulse versus Liverpool. I, I think for me, that's a no-brainer. It's got to be the overhead kick. The skill required to do that. Having attempted one myself, it's, it's almost impossible. Mm. Nice. Well, that's a quarterfinal, uh, a, a big knockout, to be honest. A 5 niller. I think so. The second quarterfinal, we've got free kick. And I've picked out Christian Zieger versus Arsenal. And that takes on the back heel flick. Uh, and I've picked out Carnu versus Middlesbrough. I think because you can, you can encapsulate so many different types of goals with a free kick, I think it's got to be the free kick. You've got the knuckleball Ronaldo. You've got mm. the curling top corner. I think it's got to be free kick there. Amazing. Quarterfinal three um, is the 40-yard screamer. And I've picked Pedro Obiang versus Tottenham as an example of that. And the silky passing move. Um, and my choice for that, Thomas Rosicki versus Sunderland. Ooh. I think there's something incredibly satisfying about a 40-yarder, especially mm. ones that are still rising somehow when they hit the roof of the net. So as much as the silky passing move... It's impressive. I've got to go for the 40-yarder. Nice. Decisive, Arthur. This is impressive. And the final quarterfinal, we've got the volley. And I've picked out Lillian Nallis versus Leeds. And the dribble all the way. And I've gone for Georgie Kinkladze versus Sunderland. I think the volley, there's something incredibly satisfying about a volley. Sorry, I'm just realising that I, <laughs> I'm qualifying my victors in each of these knockout stages as something incredibly satisfying yeah <laughs> so. and it's also i mean there's an unbelievable home advantage it would seem all the home teams are through to the semi-finals arthur well there we go i wonder i wonder when you put them away whether they'll fare quite as well that's true that's true because half of them will have to be away in this the semi-finals of what is a worldie by arthur fane semi-final one we've got the overhead kick against the free kick i think it's got to be the free kick for me. Mm. There's something incredible about it, isn't there, Arthur? Very satisfying. Yeah, very satisfying, yeah. <laughs> and the second semi-final is the 40-yard screamer against the volley. 
Well, I'm going to slightly cheat here and say that you can certainly have a 40-yard screamer that is also a volley. Oh, interesting. I think it's got to be the 40-yarder. Nice. Okay, well, that's whittled it down to the final now. This is, this is actually quite a big moment in footballing history. We are essentially definitively saying that this type of goal is the best type of goal in the history of football. And it's either the free kick, courtesy of Christian Zieger, or the 40-yard screamer, courtesy of Pedro Obiang. The definitive answer from the 11 pod is the 40-yard screamer. Wow. Well, I tell you what, they will be dancing in the streets of Spain tonight. Pedro Obiang has just been accredited with one of the best goals ever scored in football. Congratulations to Pedro. Will he make the 11, though? I think we'd better find out. (laughs) (laughs) A Wembley shot here. Oh, what a shot! It's an absolute stunner! So we're moving on to centre midfield. Ben and I both get to pick one centre midfielder and... And I'm quite glad that I've managed to get the first pick because I think this is an easy choice. For me, Two Guy is the ultimate centre midfield worldy scorer. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. <laughs> he's, he's a player who, who actually arrived in the Premier League in the twilight of his career and started... From, from, a, from a position as deep-lying playmaker, scoring some unbelievable goals. He was a 37-year-old who would just stroke the ball into the top corner from a good 40 yards out, including a, a world against your beloved Reading then in 2007. Honestly, just one of the greatest players to grace the Premier League um, in the noughties. And like you say, he, he looked about 107 he just had this kind of straggly grey hair. I looked up the fact that Two Guy, when he arrived in the Premier League, was already quite quite old, and he only actually ever scored eleven Premier League goals. But there's a there's a Sky highlights reel of his best Premier League goals, which includes six absolute scorchers. And when you consider that, then six out of his eleven Premier League goals were goal of the season contenders. I mean, it's a no brainer, really, in centre midfield. I. A hundred percent agree. Um, you will never see a sweeter strike um, than a two-guy screamer in the Premier League. I'm happy to make that claim. Perfect. It's decided then. Moving on to second centre midfielder. Well, accompanying him in centre midfield, Arthur, um, we've got a bit of Turkish delight going on in this midfield, I have to say, because I would like to suggest Muzzy is it alongside him. One of the best names in football, Muzzy, is it? Um, And actually an incredibly gifted player, hugely underrated. I don't know whether you knew this, but um, Kevin De Bruyne, in his most dominant season, he provided um, 16 of 106 assists, which was basically 19% of Man City's assists. Um, In the uh, campaign when uh, Muzzy, is it, was playing for Leicester at the top of his game, which was in 03-04, um, his ratio was 29%. 29% of Leicester's goals came through Muzzy, is it? So not just the scorer of worldies, um, but I couldn't help but put him in. I mean, his, his incredible volley 
Um, I don't know whether you remember this one where he's, he's leaning backwards and he strikes the ball high into the top right corner. Hugely gifted little player, Muzzy, is it? Um, and one that I kind of wish I'd seen more of growing up, really. Yeah, he's, a, he's an iconic name in Premier League history. I remember that, that great Leicester team with, with Muzzy in the centre of midfield. It was just his, his ability to do the unexpected. I mean, if you look back at Muzzy is its best goals for Leicester, there's bicycle kick, there's a, um, a 40-yard screamer, there's a volley. He could do them all. Uh, and I think alongside two guy, they'd make a really good pairing in our world. He's 11. I agree. I believe it's now my opportunity to talk about the, the right winger of our team. And this wasn't that easy. I was, I was quite tempted by Nobby Solano, simply because he's an iconic Premier League player who scored some, some brilliant goals, of course. But I wasn't he was sure Peruvian. That... He was Peruvian. So we could have finally had our, our famous Peruvian player in the team. But... For me, I wasn't sure whether he scored enough worldies. I saw some compilations on YouTube where there were, there were quite a number of scuffy finishes. And, and yes, they're goals, but are they worldies? Yeah, Nobby. Exactly. So I, I had to extend my search. And I wasn't keen to select this player because I think we like nostalgia on this show. And he's more of a modern player. Doesn't play in the Premier League anymore. In fact, he is playing in America. But I chose Nanny. Oh, Nanny. Yeah, a, I like that shout. A 25.5 million euro arrival in the Premier League from Sporting. He was really seen as the potential next Ronaldo. And I think throughout his career in the Premier League, he slightly flattered to deceive. He wasn't the world beater that Cristiano Ronaldo is. But I think certainly one thing with Nanny was his propensity to score unbelievable goals on quite regular occasions, actually. I think Nanny on the right wing is, a, is always a threat. I, I would totally agree with you. Um, I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but I think Nanny must be one of my, my least liked Premier League players of all time. I just couldn't stand him. For what reason? I just found him arrogant and he played for Man United. The same reason I hated Gabriel Heinzer, Arthur. I think sometimes you need to you need to look beyond the club ties, and of course, here on the eleven, we are famously neutral when it comes we to are. selecting these players. Now we are going to have a centre attacking midfielder in our eleven, but we're going to pick five each. But the final uh, the final member of our team is up for grabs, and Arthur and I are both going to suggest who we think should take up the position. So we're going to save the attacking midfielder to the end of this episode. But first of all, we're going to look at the left side of the midfield, and I've taken that up, and I've picked a beautiful man, Arthur, a beautiful man with a beautiful left foot, Laurent Robert. Um, a really gifted player and a great guy to have in your fantasy team. I remember him getting some incredible hauls for me back in the day. Unfortunately, he, he didn't come without controversy. He was a little bit of a, a restless dressing room influence. And in fact, to mark his final appearance for the Magpies, he stripped down to his uh, rather skimpy underwear and launched all of his um, playing apparel into the Gallagate end. Um, but of course, the reason he's in the team is he was an, an incredibly deadly set piece taker, um, a bit of a flawed genius in the sense um, that he, he fell out with a number of his fellow players, but, but just had to be in the eleven because of his ability to create the unexpected. I guess he was kind of the French example of David Beckham, 
But of course, with the glittering talent they had in France, they, they didn't need him for the national scene. But um, an incredible left foot and, and perhaps the inspiration behind the, uh, the film trilogy goal. Absolutely. I think actually one of his... One of his goals for Newcastle was actually the inspiration for a goal that was reconstructed in that film. By Santiago Nunez, yeah. Which, fun fact, was actually recorded at my school. Was it? Yeah, the training pitch was my school training pitch. So did Santiago score his iconic goals for Newcastle in the film on the same pitch that you scored your under-10 screamer? Sadly not. Oh, no. No. Very disappointing. Um, but wouldn't that have been a lovely way to round off the midfield? It would have been. I'm very pleased that you've picked Laurent Robert. I have to say, when we, when we split these positions between us, I was struggling on right wing and I was, ca- I was casting envious glances over at your, <laughs> your left wing selection because Laurent Robert is, is, for me, as clear as you think that two guys is in centre midfield. I think he's a, an absolute machine when it comes to scoring worldies. And Newcastle have a perhaps a proud history with that because Hatem Ben Arfa was a uh, a scorer of some absolutely unbelievable goals as well. Yeah, I, I mean I've heard I've heard rumors that Habib Bay used to belt them in in training from 50 yards as well Arthur. Um there we go. Yeah. So moving on to a striker for our team. I've gone for what everyone I think would say is the obvious choice and it's Tony Aboa. And the mm. reason for that is his ability to in the same season to score two of possibly the Premier League's most iconic goals of all time. His howitzers against Wimbledon and Liverpool, both hitting the crossbar, bouncing down over the line. I think there's something incredibly satisfying about a goal that, and perhaps Ben, you should have included this in your, in your worldy knockout game. Yeah. Something great about a ball hitting the crossbar and going in. It's I the almost sound think... that makes... With Tony, his his goals almost deserve their own category, don't they? Because they're they're volleys, but they're they're just your bowers. They they kind of slam in off the crossbar, off all kinds of angles, and they're just actually physically impossible to save. I think a yaboa should be a, an official name of a goal, actually. Almost like a, a David Beckham free kick. You've got a mm. Tony Yaboa strike from distance. And actually, in my research, when I was looking up Tony Yaboa, it actually surprised me that he was quite so prolific he actually scored 24 goals in 47 Premier League games for Leeds having banged them in for Eintracht Frankfurt before that so he wasn't a uh, a limited player by any means I think he scored a lot of goals but the worldies are the ones that live on they certainly live long in the mind (laughs) Ben's just popping to uh, answer the door Sorry, that point was so good, I just felt the need to leave the room for a moment. We are now approaching the stage where we have to make a decision. We do. Attacking midfield is a, a fulcrum of this team. It's a, it's a position where the creativity stems from. You have someone who sits a little bit deeper than the striker, but can have some brilliant worldly scoring opportunities. Yeah, and that, there are just so many options in this position, aren't there? I think 
um, ever since the kind of 4-3-3-1 formation has, has come about, there's almost been more of these exceptional goals from range because it's just the perfect position for someone who can create something out of nothing. Um, and, and so an awful lot of options, but we've whittled it down to two. Arthur, who, who would you like to put forward for the centre attacking midfield berth? I think when the listeners find out that I'm a Southampton fan, I don't think it would surprise them hugely to... Ooh find out that I've, I'm nominating Matt Letissier as my attacking midfielder in this team. What, what a gifted man, though, and, and probably the best footballer ever to come out of Guernsey. I would agree. I think people see him as one of the most underused talents England have ever had. Obviously, Guernsey's lack of national team, I think. Uh, well, no, sorry, that's a, that's a really bad point. <laughs> what point are you making there? <laughs> Guernsey's. God, what is this some sort of campaign for to get Guernsey into the, the UEFA <laughs> tournament? The Matt Letissier YouTube compilations are are frankly unparalleled. You've got list a list of wonder goals that comprises of every type of goal you've got the dribble through their whole team flicking it over various heads and then scoring against Newcastle you've got the casually lob the best goalkeeper in the world out of nowhere from 30 yards goal against Man U you've got the signature move for Matt Letizia I think is the free kick rolled back to him the flick up on his knee and then the just nonchalance of the the top corner strike it's just yeah. a-, a massive massive talent he was and uh, and, I, and I have to say Arthur I know you're a Southampton fan but that does seem like a very a very fair nomination for our centre attacking midfield role now I've given it a thought as well and obviously I need a player of the quality of Matt Letizia of the standing of Matt Letizia in order to compete and get my suggestion into the 11. So I've gone with Jason Kumas, <laughs> who, <laughs> who is a spectacularly gifted young man um, from Wales. I, I think what's interesting about Jason Kumas is he wasn't actually a particularly big football fan. He, he saw it as more of a job, and he got a lot of criticism in training for not really trying very hard. Um, but his ability was almost unparalleled in that position. Um, he scored an incredible goal against Nottingham Forest that's well worth a look in 2003, um, where he received it from his goalkeeper, Russell Holt, on the halfway line. He sat Brynjard Gunnarsson down. Um, and believe me, I've, I've watched Brynjard Gunnarsson live a lot of times, and um, that takes some doing. He ran forward and looped the ball over the goalkeeper from, from 30 yards. Probably the most similar goal I've actually seen to my strike against the Elstree under 10B team, Arthur. But I also found this video, which I really enjoyed, um, which I'm going to play to you now. And I, I'm going to get your thoughts on, on how impressive it is um, to hear Jason's uh, commentary of, of worldies that he scored. Kumas! Oh, it is something special from Jason Kumas! Rescued by Kumas! And he's released Jason Kumas here. Yeah, Kumas! Oh, what a goal! Kumas! It's in! Kumas, great goal! And indeed Kumas, the camera has found and Kumas! There's Kumas, goes for goal himself! A fantastic opener from Jason Kumas! And Gunnison has slipped on the turf. He's away, Kumas, with support, goes alone! Oh, that's stunning! What a 
sensational strike from Jason Kumas. I think there's something there's something about the name Jason Kumas. I know. I've but never heard the name Jason Kumas repeated so many times in quick succession. I, I think it works in the context of worldies. There's it something really about the ring of Jason Kumas. Also, that just I think feels rightly. And and when you look at some of his teammates. Um, and what they've said about him, I think this gives him an even more glowing review than I ever could, Arthur. A midfielder with unbelievable ability who could go past players as if they weren't there. He was also quality on set plays and could score worldies. I just wish he wasn't so relaxed and chilled because he could have been even better. So that's a glowing review there from Jonathan Greening. Good old Jonathan And Greening. if ever there was someone you wanted to give you that review, it would be Jonathan Greening. I think that I think Jason Kumas is a really good shout. I don't think you can compare him and Lagod. No, I, I hear you. I think we should we should open up the debate to our listeners. So I think at eleven pods, it'd be great to get your thoughts. But because of his reputation, and because I've just had a little glance now at some of Latissi's goals, I think we can put Matt Latissier in this eleven, the worldies eleven for now. for goal again oh as only Matthew Letitia can score goals like that as only he would even think of trying to score well Arthur a great discussion I think several players will feel a little hard done by and and perhaps we can put them on the bench Uh, one I'd like to throw in there is Matt Taylor um, a rival of your boys at Southampton, but some stunning Premier League goals. I have to say, in my research, I, as a Southampton fan, I'm naturally drawn to detesting Portsmouth players, but mm. their, their ability to score wonder goals was pretty second to none. I think Matty Taylor's a fantastic shout, obviously the, the 40-yard goals against Sunderland and Everton in 05 and 06 but also Pedro Mendes, who scored some some cracking goals, obviously known for the the, the goal against... Uh, but the, the goal that never was. Um, the goal that never was against Man United. Yeah, uh, I'd throw um, Paitim Kasami in there as well, probably one of my all-time favourite Premier League goals against Palace. Um, and Paolo Di Canio, how can you forget him? Of some course, Paolo goals. Di Canio. A few quite niche ones for me were Darren Gibson, who didn't mm. score that many, but but the vast majority of the goals he scored found not only the top corner, but were hit with venom. Uh, and then Torsten Frings, he hit a lot of similar strikes for Werder Bremen in the in the Bundesliga. And and for me, he was the master of the the shot we all think we can do, but no one can really actually do it, which is the let the ball run across you and then hit it with with swerve. The, the one who I think was edged out by Tony Eboa because you can't not select Tony Eboa. But I was incredibly impressed with Hulk. Yes. <laughs> One I, of my favourite footballers that's also named after a superhero. I'll happily plug a video on YouTube called Goals That Shook the World. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Now that's a claim. Which is a compilation of Hulk's finest strikes. The guy has pretty much never ever not hit the top corner when he strikes from 35 yards. Um, well, Arthur, who made the 11? Let's recap. So I think to recap on our 11, we've got a, a brilliant shout from Ben in goal of, of Schiller there. 
a back four from right to left of Petrescu, Maxes, Mihailovic and Risa. Mm. Two centre midfielders of Tugai and Muzzy Izzet. And then three behind the striker of Nani, Matt Letizier and Laurent Robert. And of course, the iconic Tony Aboa leading our attack in this Worldies 11. What an 11. Join us next time while we run through another 11 from world football. Look forward to catching you then. Mm-hmm.